see my Savior's hands. The title says it all. Pastor Will Whedon, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, See My Savior's Hands. In pictures and words, we follow Jesus' story by watching his hands, from childhood to his baptism, from his healings and miracles all the way to the cross, from his resurrection to his ascension. We'll see that his hands are always active at work to bring us blessing. Learn more and purchase See My Savior's Hands, a book for children ages 4 through 7 at issuesetc.org. pastors we spoke to, we we want to thank all the religious leaders from every community of faith in the country. The chorus of prayers that is coming up from communities of faith around the country is making the difference that it always has in the life of this nation. These are the things that were said of Lutherans during during plagues in the 15, 16, and 1700s, that they took care of people, that they did not abandon their communities, that they showed the cross of Christ. And COVID is an opportunity to do that again. The problem is that history in schools won't talk about the history of Marxism. And so students are unable to place Marxism and socialism in any historical context. He does have control of absolutely everything, but you just cannot see it. That's okay. You can see him. Australian Lutheran pastors love listening to Issues Etc. while driving through the outback, dodging kangaroos. If you will not take part in abortions, you cannot be a midwife in a public hospital. That was recently the ruling of a Swedish court against two nurses who objected to taking part in abortions. And to put uh, injury on top of that, The European Court of Human Rights refused to hear the case and, in effect, upheld that ruling. What is the status of conscience freedom or religious freedom in the European Union? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, March the 23rd. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be talking with Dr. John Warwick Montgomery about this ruling against two Swedish nurses who were denied midwife jobs for refusing to perform abortions. A little bit later, Cheryl Magnus joins us. We're going to discuss some hymns of comfort from the pen of of a 17th century Lutheran pastor and theologian and hymn writer Paul Gerhardt. Then Pastor Brian Wolfmiller joins us. It's our series introducing the books of the Bible today, the book of First Timothy. Joining us to discuss a ruling in the Swedish courts and then involvement by the European Court of Human Rights in a case of two Swedish nurses who were denied midwife jobs for refusing to perform abortions, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery, emeritus professor at the University of Bedfordshire in England. He's a French advocate and barrister at law in England and Wales, a member of the Bar of the Supreme Court of the United States, Professor-at-Large with 1517, The Legacy Project, Director of the International Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights, and author and editor of more than 70 books, including Human Rights and Human Dignity. He joins us from Strasbourg, France. Dr. Montgomery, welcome back. Thank you. Give us a update, if you would, on the status of the coronavirus there in France. <laughs> well, the country is, uh, is in lockdown and this is probably going to continue for uh, at least two weeks and maybe beyond that. Uh, that means that people are confined to their homes uh, unless 
they need to go to a hospital or to a physician for medical treatment, or if they need food, they can go to a food store. Everyone must carry a uh, paper indicating uh, why they are out, uh, and if you are caught out without a paper or for a reason that isn't on the paper, the minimum fine is 135 euro, which is oh, could be close to $150. And uh, the, the government is, uh, has already collected quite a uh, decent amount of money from people who uh, have gone stir-crazy and have simply had to go out. So <laughs> it's a very difficult situation. And it's particularly difficult uh, for us here in the northern Alsace because there hasn't been any outbreak of the virus here in the southern Alsace, the the Ohrin, close to the Swiss border, uh, Mulhouse, the city of Mulhouse, there has been quite a number of cases, but we haven't experienced that, but that doesn't make any difference. This is nationwide. So, if you would, to our subject, what is the European Court of Human Rights? Well, it's a transnational court, and the purpose of it is to make it possible for people in European countries who believe that their rights have been violated and where they have attempted to deal with this through their national courts unsuccessfully to go to Strasbourg and the case then is decided by the judges of the European Court of Human Rights. And if the individual succeeds, then the government is forced to um, go along with uh, that decision and uh, pay them, uh, you know, a money judgment, uh, or uh, and, the, and the law is to be uh, changed then in that country to accord with what the European Court of Human Rights has determined. Is it, in essence, a Supreme Court of the European Union? The European Court of Human Rights is not really a Supreme Court. Uh, it's an international court to which the countries that have subscribed to the particular treaties are subject. Uh, there are two such courts in Europe. There is the uh, European Court of Justice in Luxembourg, and that court deals primarily with workers' rights, economic issues. And then there is the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, which deals with what in the U.S. would be regarded as civil liberties, the sort of thing that you find uh, protected by the first ten amendments to the Constitution of the United States. Tell us about this Swedish case of Eleanor Grimark and Linda Steen. Well, these two Christian midwives were told that they would not be able to retain their jobs or obtain jobs as nurses in Sweden in a public hospital unless they were willing to participate in abortions. And so they lost all the way through the courts in, in Sweden and took it to the European Court of Human Rights. And the European Court of Human Rights, unfortunately, went along with the Swedish courts and the result of this is that the two, and that would include any other Christian nurses, uh, will not be able to get jobs in public hospitals. What does that mean for the freedom of conscience in the European Union? Well, 
here, let me explain a little bit how the law works, how the European Convention or Treaty on Human Rights works. Article 9 guarantees the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion, and the right to manifest your religion in worship, teaching, practice, and observance. Okay, but this is not an unqualified right. There is a second paragraph which says, freedom to manifest one's religion or belief shall be subject only to such limitations as are prescribed by law and are necessary in a democratic society in the interests of public safety for the protection of public order, health, or morals, or for the protection of the rights and freedoms of others. In other words, freedom of religion is not absolute under the European Convention, and we would hardly have a problem with that. I mean, religious belief isn't absolute in any civilized society. In the United States, for example, uh, just because a Jehovah's Witness refuses blood transfusions for his child or a Christian scientist will not allow medical treatment, the courts will override that sort of thing in the interests of the body politic, okay? The problem here is that it certainly was not necessary to apply that qualification in the case of these nurses. Why? Well, in Canada, if a nurse conscientiously will not perform an abortion, they just bring in another nurse who will. In other words, they, they, they are willing to allow nurses who have Christian convictions to practice and avoid having to do the things that go against their religious convictions. And there's no reason in the world why in Sweden, for goodness sake, which is a large country with a lot of midwives, uh, that they couldn't have done the same thing. Now, of course, the, the question then is, well, why then did they take that approach? And the answer to that is that over the last few years, the court has been deferring more and more to the national law in, instead of overruling unfortunate decisions of national courts in favor of the European Convention or Treaty on Human Rights. And the court, of course, is in a difficult position because if the court continually overrides national law, countries are going to get so furious they'll probably leave the European human rights system. In England, there was a great deal of uh, objection to some of the decisions of the European Court of Human Rights, and people were yelling and screaming about getting out of the, the uh, human rights system. So I can understand the court's worries. But on the other hand, the whole point of having a European Court of Human Rights is to deal with the exact situations where national judgments are imperiling human rights. And that is surely the case here. And that would particularly be the situation where human life is involved and abortion deals with human rights. Now, of course, the European Convention on Human Rights does not define life as beginning from the point of conception. That is defined in the Inter-American Convention or Treaty on Human Rights. It isn't defined that way here, and therefore the uh, European Court in Strasbourg uh, goes along really with whatever the common position is, particularly in the country involved. And Sweden is a highly secularized 
country. It is probably the most secularized country of, of, of Europe. And uh, it's uh, understandable that this kind of thing would occur. And added to that, the, <laughs> the European court in Strasbourg made the great mistake of listening to a rapporteur, that is to say a, a kind of minor league specialist uh, from the United Nations. This is uh, a special rapporteur on freedom of religion and beliefs. And uh, this fellow, Ahmed uh, Shabid, haha, he said that you should not allow any uh, religious opinions to deal with questions of abortion or homosexuality. This is a matter of a, of a human right. And, of course, that's, that's just a lot of, of, of nonsense. It's sad that this kind of thing is taking place. Uh, years ago, when I did my cases and won my cases before the European Court of Human Rights, the court was much more inclined to pay attention to the human rights principles and much less inclined to defer to the national courts. Coming up next, we're going to compare and contrast abortion rights in the EU and the U.S. Dr. John Warwick Montgomery is our guest, a French advocate of barrister at law in England and Wales, and a member of the Bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. Stay tuned. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Concordia University Chicago is a distinctive, comprehensive university of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We're committed to increasing LCMS faculty and staff members. Hi, this is Dr. Russell Don, President of Concordia University Chicago. If you're a member of our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod congregation, please consider joining our staff. And if you have a terminal degree, please consider joining our faculty. Send us an email at human.resources at cuchicago.edu. Talk radio for the thinking Christian. You're listening to Issues Etc. After Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and there he fasted for 40 days, and Satan came and tempted him. And whereas we have fallen to temptation time and again, Jesus did not. Read the March issue of the Lutheran Witness to learn all about fasting and temptation. Read about how God called his people to return to him with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and learn about how Jesus gives us his perfect obedience in place of our sin. Visit cph.org slash witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash witness. There are nearly 20 million college students in the United States. 40% will stop going to church during college. 50% will never return. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is seeking to meet this challenge through LCMSU. Why? Because 100% of college students matter to God and to His church. College is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. LCMSU. Check us out at lcms.org slash lcmsu. (music) 
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about a ruling against two Swedish nurses who were denied midwife jobs for refusing to perform abortions. Dr. John Warwick Montgomery is our guest. Dr. Montgomery, if you would, compare and contrast so-called abortion rights in the European Union and the U.S. Well, actually, the European Union has done better. No European country, even Sweden, has unqualified abortion allowed by law throughout the country. In the United States, during the first trimester of pregnancy, abortion is an absolute right of the pregnant woman. And that situation, as a result of Roe versus Wade, that has made the U.S. probably the worst offender in this whole area. And because the U.S. Supreme Court validated Roe versus Wade, it was a U.S. Supreme Court case, there isn't any, anything that can be done about that other than to have another case come before the U.S. Supreme Court, which will make it possible to overturn Roe versus Wade. Or, of course, a constitutional amendment, but there's no way to get that because the country is divided probably close to 50-50 on the whole issue of, of abortion. Compare and contrast religious liberty rights in the European Union and the U.S. Well, there the advantage certainly goes to the U.S. because as a result of the uh, Holocaust and the atrocities of the Second World War, there are over here in all of the European countries uh, very, very powerful restrictions on any speech that would support rightist, right-wing dictatorships or could even conceivably be thought of doing this. And that means that people have a, a tendency over here not to get into controversial religious discussions for fear they might find themselves in trouble. And that's unfortunate. You, you want a society that's, that's sufficiently open that a person can express some damn fool idea, maybe a really obnoxious idea, and it can be refuted in the public domain and not lead to the possibility of going to jail. So it, it seems to me that's, that's one of the problems in the European scene. The background of it is certainly the, the Nazi totalitarianism, and the U.S. has never experienced anything like that. And so I think that uh, I'm probably in a better position to criticize the situation over here than the people in the States who would, I suppose, just love to criticize it. Earlier, you said that Sweden was highly secularized. What do you mean by that, Dr. Montgomery? Well, it's a country in which officially, technically, I suppose it's still Lutheran, but the church attendance is practically nil, and people have left the church to avoid paying the church tax, and the country is is a, a very, very liberal socialist kind of, of, uh, of operation, where the influence of, of the Christian churches is, is minimal, okay? How did Swedish Lutheranism come to this state? Well, same way as the Lutheran Church has come to secularization in Germany. It's because of liberal theology. It's because so many scholars and intellectuals swallowed the 18th century Enlightenment and no longer went along with biblical revelation as the proper source of religious belief. And uh, this is, uh, wherever this has occurred, the result is it's opened the door to mass secularism. 
and uh, in the states, for goodness sake, where wherever you have that kind of influence, you have a, a shift away from church teaching to secular ideas. Dr. Montgomery, how would you have argued this case before the European Courts of Human Rights? Well, I would have stressed that where an issue is so important, where human life or potential human life is at the heart of the issue, that's the last place that you want to defer to national courts. That's the time when you say to the national court, it's time that you observed the fundamental principle of right to life to a far greater extent than your national law apparently has done. You know, this is, it's really very interesting, but we can see the trend toward greater secularization in the court's decisions in the last few years. There's a case that took place in Austria. A woman gave a lecture on Mohammed and said some pretty unpleasant things about Mohammed, you know, that he was a child molester, for example, because he had one of his many marriages was to an underage minor child, really. And that case went to the European Court of Human Rights, and the European Court upheld the judgment against this woman. Now, of course, the woman did not have to use the kind of language she did, etc., etc., but this is an indication that things are moving in a secular direction. And this is, uh, you know, really so, so sad. When, when I practiced uh, law as a barrister in, in England, I found the same kind of trend going on in, in England as a barrister there. When I did my cases in England, my gosh, uh, the high court judges, Lord Mackay, Lord Denning, uh, Lord Hailsham, were solid Christian believers, and they let this influence their decision-making. And now there's a, a judge in England by the name of Laws, of all things, poor fellow, Judge Laws, and he refused to uphold the job of a Christian counselor who refused to give sex instruction to a homosexual couple. And he said, religious arguments have absolutely nothing to do with the law. I mean, this is incredible, for heaven's sake. 2,000 years of Christian jurisprudence, and, and it has nothing to do with anything. This is just very, very sad. And I think all of this says that the judges are critical. What we need are Christian judges. We need judges who are serious Christian believers. I did not vote for Trump the first time around. I couldn't stand him, and I don't think I can stand him even now. But I'm telling you, I would vote for him this time around for just one reason, because he has been stuffing the U.S. federal courts with serious, conservative, believing judges. And in the long run, that's going to have more of an effect on the, on the country than anything else. Somebody said, I just heard this, somebody said, um, you don't mean to say you're going to vote for Trump. And the other person said, I'm voting for him as president, not as my Sunday school teacher. And I thought that was pretty good. Do these two nurses have any legal recourse after this ruling? Well, the only possible recourse would be if the court agreed 
to a full hearing, a plenary hearing, because these cases almost always are just before a section of the court, seven or eight judges, that sort of thing. But I think the chances of getting uh, that are, are nil, because this, by the way, was not a matter of the court hearing the case. The European court dismissed the case without hearing it. I mean, they would not even accept the case to come before the court. And by dismissing the case, of course, by automatically the Swedish law and the Swedish judgment prevailed. So really there isn't anything practically that they can do. Now, they can, of course, serve in private hospitals. As far as I, I know, I don't I have no idea how the medical situation cooks in uh, in Sweden, but they certainly will not be able to obtain positions in, in public hospitals unless they agree to uh, perform abortions or be members of teams where abortions are being performed. So what impact, if any, does this ruling have outside of Sweden? Technically, it doesn't. If the court had actually accepted the case and come to a particular conclusion, uh, then that conclusion would have been binding, all right? But in this case, all that's happened is, it's bad enough, but all that's happened is that this particular case, the nurses there in, in Sweden are not going to be able to practice, and that means that other nurses who have the, the same convictions will be in that same situation. But that doesn't have any binding force anywhere else. Finally, Dr. Montgomery, what impact will the COVID-19 virus have on the International Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights? Well, I want to say that I am so proud of our 20 registrants for this summer because not a single one of them has canceled. And what we've told our people is this. The International Academy takes place on the 14th of July, and it's inconceivable that this isolation policy in France could continue that long. They've talked about two weeks, and then now they're talking about four and maybe six weeks, but there's no way this can go on beyond that, effectively. The, you know, the country is going to implode <laughs> if, if that continued. I mean, I can imagine that the number of divorces is going to rise immensely as a result of this because husbands have been forced to stay home with their wives 24 hours a day. And the incubation period is short, and the, if you get the coronavirus and don't die, within a couple of weeks so you're over it. And so I don't think there's the slightest chance that when we are almost four months away from the Academy session that this means that we will not be holding the session. Uh, we're going on the assumption that the session will take place. All the signals are, are go for it. And uh, we've also said to our people that if this has just proven that I am not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, and there is some kind of, of uh, necessity of canceling, we're rolling over all of these registrations to next July. So nobody is going to lose any money on this at all. Learn more about the International Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights held annually in Strasbourg, France at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. 
Dr. John Warwick Montgomery is Emeritus Professor at the University of Bedfordshire in England. He's a French advocate, a barrister at law in England and Wales, and a member of the Bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. He's Professor at Large with 1517 The Legacy Project, Director of the International Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights, and author and editor of more than 70 books, including Human Rights and Human Dignity. Dr. Montgomery, thanks. You're most welcome. On the other side of the break, we will be hearing and talking about some hymns of comfort from Paul Gerhardt, a Lutheran theologian and pastor. Cheryl Magnus will be our guest. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we're journeying on in Hebrews, Jesus, source of eternal salvation, warning against falling away, a sure and steadfast anchor, Melchizedek, and an indestructible life. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org, and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. Looking for a foreign language program that will revolutionize your students' vocabulary knowledge and their understanding of grammar? How about a program that teaches critical thinking skills, too? Look no further than Memoria Press's Latin curriculum. Students of all ages can use these Latin study programs. Give your students the gift of Latin today. To order, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next order by using the coupon code LPR20. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled Closed Communion, Biblical, Historical, Lutheran, and Loving. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Nancy Almodovar writes about her journey from the profound doubt produced by her former Calvinist beliefs to the absolute certainty of Lutheran theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Trinity Lutheran Church, LCMS, of Tryon, North Carolina, also serves the South Carolina Upstate. We uphold the confessional standard of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. We follow the apostolic practice of celebrating the Lord's Supper each Lord's Day using a biblical historic liturgy. Our small parish is teeming with little ones along with many of retirement age. Several Issues Etc. listeners have been welcomed into Christ's fold here from outside Lutheranism. We invite any unchurched in the area to join us at 1015 each Sunday. Lutheranism in the Public Square. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethlehem Lutheran, Parma, Ohio. Faith Lutheran, Waterloo, Iowa. Grace Lutheran, Wichita, Kansas. Lamb of God Lutheran, Papillion, Nebraska, Mount Olive Lutheran, Madison, Wisconsin, Prince of Peace Lutheran, Freedom, Pennsylvania, Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran, Perrysburg, Ohio, St. Matthew Lutheran, Lamont, Illinois, Zion Lutheran, Columbus, Ohio, and Christ the Shepherd Lutheran, Alpharetta, Georgia. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click support, donate, and print the one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal.